We're so glad that you've tuned in to the Rolling Hills Community Sermon Podcast. I'm T. Lusk, and I'm the Columbia Campus Pastor, and we're currently working through a series called Celebrating God's Goodness, where we've been studying the book of 1 Thessalonians. You know, thankfulness and living lives of gratitude starts with us, and it starts in our heart. And when our hearts are full of joy and thanksgiving, that flows out into our attitudes. And so let's start learning about how to have that kind of perspective and attitude each day in the things that we face and the people that we come in contact with. We're so thankful that you're here. Well, good morning to you guys. Man, I'm just so glad y'all are here with us today. Thank you for being here. I'm Jason, if I've not had a chance to meet you yet. And I get the real distinct privilege of being the campus pastor of our Nolansville campus. And a special welcome to y'all who are here for the very first time today. Thank you for saying yes to whoever invited you. Or thank you for driving by our property with all the big piles of trees out front because we're building a new building. And for just pulling up on this property and parking in the muddy grass, I'm just so grateful for you. So thank you for being here with us this morning. This morning, I have a really lofty goal. And what we're going to seek to do this morning is to tell you what the secret of life is really all about. So in the next 34 and a half minutes, that is my goal, to help you understand what the secret of life is really all about. How do we figure out what it means to really get it when it comes to life? And the truth of the matter is that literally anyone can do this. This is not some secret that is going to take a lot of work for us to unearth, but yet what we're going to seek to do today is to open up God's Word to see what does it really mean to live the life that He has in store for me. But before I tell you how to do that, I want to eliminate some things for you, okay? So these are the ways that you're never going to find what the real secret of living is all about. The first of which is a magic eight ball. Magic eight balls are great toys. They do not give you the secret of life. You guys remember it? You would shake the magic eight ball and ask it a question, should I take a new job? It is decidedly so. You know, that magic eight ball to me represents all of those random things in life. I kind of put that in the category of if I really want to find the true meaning of life, then I probably just have to realize it's all random and there's never any really hope in the, in the kind of world out there. That is simply not true. Sometimes we try to find the secret of life by reaching out to other people. Do you guys remember back in the day when you would write Dear Abby? And there was a newspaper, and you would write a letter, and somebody named Abby would answer the questions that you had in whatever was going on. Well, dear Abby did not age very well because with the onset of the internet, we don't need to wait six days to get something printed anymore. I mean, your preschoolers tell you to Google things for them now. So we have so much information, but information only gets us so far. It's not the real secret to life. Or maybe it's books. Maybe it's resources. I brought a couple up here for you. The game plan for life. I mean, maybe this kind of gives me everything that I need to know. Or how to have that difficult conversation that you've always been avoiding. Some of you all want to check this out uh, later. It's a great resource, by the way. The problem with resources, though, is I don't have time to read them all. And so it's not just resources that are going to give me everything that I need in life. So then what is it? How do I live this life that God has for me? How do I celebrate God's goodness? What is that secret, so to speak? It doesn't require me to take any monthly memberships. It doesn't require me to go any, buy any special equipment. But it's right here in God's Word that if I really want to live a life of goodness, it starts with my heart. God has already given me what I need. When He created me, He gave me this internal organ that he wants me to surrender to him. And when I do that, I begin to see what life is really all about. And I believe if we will lean into what it means to have a heart fully devoted to God, we'll catch a glimpse this morning of what he wants to do in our life and the story that he wants to write in our life. So just know that I'm so grateful again that you're here. I don't believe it's by accident, just like a magic eight balls, kind of just random answers in life. I don't believe that it's random that you're here. 
I don't believe it's by accident that you're here. God has each and every one of you here for a very specific purpose. And so I want to pray that he would show you what that is and give you a glimpse of what that is and give you a vision for people who are not here yet, a vision of maybe a friend or a family member that doesn't know Jesus that will benefit from some of the things that we're talking about today and that you would have the vision and the obedience and just the courage to step into what it is that he is wanting to do in your life. So let's pray together before we dig in to God's word. God, thank you for meeting us here. We're so grateful for who you are. God, you are so good, and I thank you for a powerful morning of worship already, and I pray that as we dig into your word now that you would meet us here. Show us what it means to live a life with a heart that's fully devoted to you, and give us a glimpse of what that will mean for others as we seek to please you and in turn understand what your word desires for us to do. I thank you for each and every person that you've brought here today, and it's in the powerful name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen and amen. Now, we're in the second week of this series called Celebrating God's Goodness, and this series is going to take us up to Thanksgiving, and what we've been doing in this series is seeking to understand the call to follow Jesus, and what does it mean to follow him, and what is this call to goodness, and to live a life of gratitude and thanksgiving, and what we're doing is studying this book of the Bible called First Thessalonians. If you're new to church or you're new to the Bible, it's kind of halfway over through the New Testament, and it's a letter. It's literally a letter that Paul and Silas and Timothy writes to a church in a town called Thessalonica, hence the name Thessalonians. Thessalonians is the name of the people group that this is going to, and Thessalonica is an early church town. It's where the church is kind of growing, but it's a very cosmopolitan city. It's a trade hub city. And much like any trade hub city in that day, it's a conglomerate of ideas coming in all different directions. Because if you're a trade city, that means that all parts of the known world are going to converge up on that city. And with that comes false teaching, idol worship, Jesus teaching, so to speak. It's kind of like downtown Nashville. If you picture downtown Nashville um, for me, uh, I-65 comes into downtown Nashville. I-24 comes into downtown Nashville. I-20 or I-40 comes into downtown Nashville. So just picture, if you will, like all of the false teaching is coming down 65. The Jesus teaching is coming across 40. And then idol worship is coming up 24. And what happens, the church in the middle of downtown is sorting through. Is this of Jesus or is this of the world? Hence these letters. That's why Paul would write these letters to specifically address some of the things that are happening. And what Paul's going to do in this letter is he's helping the church understand the value of your heart being in the right place. And if your heart is in the right place, it sets you up for a real clear understanding of what it is that God wants to do. And so here we read it now, some close to 2,000 years later, extrapolating the same truth from it. So let's go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Those words are going to be up here on the screen. You can follow along on your worship guide. You can go to the app. But just follow along with me as, you, as we start in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. You know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results. We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know. But with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. So prior to coming and writing this letter to the Thessalonians, Paul says, we had been suffered and outrageously treated in Philippi. Now, I don't know about you, but if I go to Philippi and people spit in my face because of the message of Jesus, the last thing I'm going to do is write a letter to another church and to seek to go to that church. But Paul says it doesn't matter how much opposition we have endured. 
It doesn't matter how difficult it has become because we believe in the power of the gospel so significantly, we don't want to allow those obstacles to stand in the way of us proclaiming that good news. And Paul says, in, fi- in, in, in spite of the strong opposition, we care about you. And according to verse 3, we don't have impure motives for coming to you. We're not trying to pull wool over your eyes. We're not trying to trick you into believing something. But the power of the gospel has changed our hearts so drastically that we can't help but want to share that with you because when your heart gets changed by him, you begin to see what it is that he wants to do. So if you and I desire to have a life where we don't quit and where we don't give up when things get tough, then we should be evaluating the condition of our heart because if our heart is not fully devoted to God, what tends to happen when the going gets tough? We quit. We raise the white flag. We throw in the proverbial towel. Now, if you're here, though, and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, or maybe you don't fully understand this grace and mercy thing that I'm talking about or the power of the gospel, or maybe you've never asked him for forgiveness or understood what it is that he wants to do in your life, I hope that you'll hold on to this particular point of the message, that he has an incredible plan for you, and he seeks to save you. And what you do is place your faith and trust in him, and you ask him to forgive you for those things that you've done in your life, that sin that separates you, and God comes and meets you, and he changes your heart. And so I hope that you'll do some pretty intense self-evaluation of the condition of your heart this morning, because look at what Jesus says. This is in Luke 6.45. This is Jesus speaking. He says, a good, man, a good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. So from the overflow of the condition of my heart, that's what I speak. Whatever's inside is what comes out. And this is what you can see about the heart. If you want to follow along with me and fill in some of those blanks on your worship guide, if you're like me, I have a hard time paying attention when somebody's talking to me. And so I just assume that maybe that helps you kind of pay attention and follow along and maybe reflect upon these truths a little bit later on there in the week. But you see it there that a heart devoted to God is willing to follow no matter how easy or how challenging it may be. Paul is embodying this. A heart that's devoted to God is willing to follow no matter how easy or how challenging it may be. Because if our heart is devoted to man, then we're going to try to please people all the time. And when you try to please people all the time, what tends to happen in your life? You don't ever please anybody. Because you try to please everybody, and insecurity starts surfacing in your life, doesn't it? Now, I self-admittedly am a people pleaser. I like everybody to get along. I love harmony. I don't want there to be any kind of division. And there's nothing wrong with that. But the problem with being a people pleaser is you begin to compare yourself to everybody else's highlight reel. And you try to compare yourself to what everybody else is doing. And Paul's saying, I don't want you to do that, church. I want you to allow God to be the one that tests your heart. And when God is the one that tests your heart, it means that in the face of even difficult circumstances, you don't quit. And so that heart devoted to God is willing to say, no matter what, no matter how easy or no matter how difficult it may be, I want to stay on mission for what it is that God wants to do in my life. Let's keep going in chapter 2, verse 5. You know then that we never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from people, not from you or anyone else. Even though as apostles of Christ, we could have asserted our authority. But instead, we were like young children among you, just as a nursing mother cares for her children. Now, did you catch what Paul said? He said, we could have asserted our authority. 
Because Paul came with a lot of authority in the early church. Now, if you're new to church and you're new to this character named Paul, this may mean nothing to you, but I want to share with you one highlight of Paul's life that will show you how much authority he had. Prior to this moment, he was trying to kill Christians, and now he's trying to make more of them. So at one point, it's, I wanted to kill you, and now he's saying, I'm willing to die for you. I mean, what speaks authority more than that? That he says, I used to want to stop the message of Christianity from spreading, but now I want to see more conversions to Christianity. Paul said, but I'm not just relying on that authority. I'm not just saying I've been through really difficult seasons and therefore you should pay attention to me. He says, no, this is why I want you to listen to me. This was my vision. This was my heart. Verse 7, we came to you like children among you just as a nursing mother cares for her children. Now, what do we know about young mothers? Young mothers are tired, but they're also gentle and compassionate. You're tired, but you're gentle and compassionate, and there is nothing that you would not do for that little precious baby. Nothing. You're all in, right? You're saying, whatever it takes, I am willing to do that as a mother. And Paul says, when the circumstances were difficult, no matter how challenging it may have been, we said, we want to see you. I see you, church, in a very gentle, compassionate way. The only way that you can see people, even in difficult circumstances, with a heart of gentleness and compassion is if your heart is fully devoted to God. When's the last time that in your own power you were able to be gentle and compassionate? Never. I mean, just a scroll through social media, it, it, it's, it's it, you know, arrogance and hatred and condescension and all these things start surfacing in you. But you have to realize, no, my heart has to lead out with gentleness and compassion. You see this here in your notes. A heart then of gentleness and compassion is never the wrong answer. What's the secret to life, Pastor Jason? A heart of gentleness and compassion is never the wrong answer. How do you deal with everything coming your way? I do not know. How do I deal with everything that's coming my way? I don't know. I can't stand up here and give you a specific map for everything that you're going to encounter, but I do assure you that gentleness and compassion are always right. And Paul would tell not only the church in Thessalonica this, he would tell the church in Philippi the same thing. Remember the church in Philippi that was opposing him and that was trying to stop him and that was trying to, 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 to really make him want to quit? In the book of Philippians, he says, let your gentleness be evident to all. So gentleness and compassion are never the wrong answer, but yet we never default to gentleness and compassion without a heart that's fully devoted to God and seeking to make other people's lives better. Let's keep going to verse 8. So we cared for you because we loved you so much. We were delighted to share with you and not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. And surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order to not be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into the kingdom and glory. So moms get a shout-out. So do dads. Dads get a shout-out. He says, I seek to come to you as a father. Because a father wants to see what's best for his children and wants to encourage his children and wants to urge them to live a life worthy of God. So Paul says, we come to you gently and compassionately. And then he says, I'm also willing to go to such great lengths for you. Look at what Paul says he's willing to do. Back to verse 8. Let's pick this up again. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. 
Paul says, I didn't want to just preach a message to you. I just didn't want to send you a letter. I didn't want to just send you a text message. I didn't want to just send you some impersonal means of communication. He says, I didn't want to just share a message with you. I was delighted to share my life with you. And I want to bring my life to you. Take note of this, friends. Sharing a message is a lot easier than sharing your life. If you want something easy to do, share a message. Sharing your life, on the other hand, is much more challenging. In fact, sharing a message is actually pretty easy. Let's just be real. It does not take a lot of work for you guys to post something on Twitter. That's not, that's not hard. I mean, you can impersonally put together a message that doesn't require much of you. Telling someone what they need to do is actually pretty easy. Crafting messages like I'm up here doing for you guys, you know, you could learn to do this. It's, it's not that complicated. You could take a class or something, right? Because, you know, what do they tell you in classes? Have an attention getter, walk across the stage to point A because people have a short attention span and then walk back over here because, you know, that helps engage this side of the room and, you know, have three points, stay within your time limits. It's not that complicated to put together messages. Bringing your life to people, though, hmm, that's a lot more challenging. And at running the risk of hopefully not offending you, because I want to be cautious how I say this, but if we're not careful in life, we buy into this lie that the more successful that we become, the further removed from people we should become. And the more that I climb up the corporate ladder or the more that I climb up my organizational ladder, what tends to happen below me, I just start hiring people to address all of the issues with all of the people. And Paul says, that's not the model that Jesus has. Jesus' model has not become so important that you forget about people. Paul says, I don't want to just bring a message to you. I want to bring my life to you. Now, I get boundaries. I get margin. I get rest. I do not think that you should work 24-7, 365 days a year. That is never a goal that you should strive for. You should strive to have proper boundaries. I strive to have proper boundaries in my life and to take moments of rest and Sabbath and to build margin into my life. But when it comes to what it really means to live a life that's a heart devoted to God and what is the implications of that, it means that we don't push people aside, but we welcome them in. And we say, it's not just about the message, but it's about loving the people. Let me ask you a question. When's the last time that someone significantly impacted your life by phoning it in? When's the last time that somebody really made a difference in your life and they weren't involved at all, but they just sent you a very, you know, nicely written email to 25,000 other people as well? You know, when's the last time your life was really changed by a company's email list? No, your life gets changed by what? People. That's why Paul says it's not just the message, but I desire and delight to bring my life to you as well. We as people have gotten really good at phoning things in, though, haven't we? And instead of having a heart that's devoted to God and to other people, we say, well, I'm sure that I can just let somebody else fix this problem. This is the radical stuff that I was talking about at the beginning of the message. This is what it means to really live radically because it's not earth shattering. But yet if I really want to be about what it is that God wants me to be about, it's countercultural. But I have to be involved in people's life because Paul said, I don't want to just preach a message. I don't want to just write a letter. I take great delight in bringing my life to you. Now, there are four people in my life that I attribute as the most important people in my overall spiritual development. And I've had four amazing mentors in my life that I, 
unashamedly would not be here as the pastor of Rolling Hills Community Church, Nolensville Campus, without the investment of these four people in my life. And I would love to tell you stories about each and every one of them, but in the essence of time, I'm going to pick one. And the guy that I want to tell you about is named John Barron. And I have a picture of John and his family. This guy here on uh, the end is John, and his wife is Elena. And uh, the bride in the middle is their daughter, Lauren, and their son, Jack. And that's their son-in-law, Daniel, there by John. And John was my college pastor. And I met John when I was 19 years old on the campus at Moorhead State University in Kentucky. And John invited me into the first ministry role that I ever accepted. I was graduating college, and I had a plan to go one path. And John set me down and looked me in the face and said, I think God has another plan for your life. Have you thought about this? And what he was doing was inviting me to come and work for free for him. So, I mean, it was really a great advantage. And so I said yes. And so I moved to Richmond, Kentucky to work at Eastern Kentucky University. And for two years, John poured into my life. And John helped me understand what it meant to lead groups. He's the one that taught me how to lead groups of people. He's the one that taught me how to see potential in people. He's the one that helped me craft my first sermons. Praise God we did not record things back then. (laughs) John let me set through strategy sessions. But above all of that, John brought his life to me. In fact, um, when I went through uh, some difficult seasons, John was one of the first people there. Uh, John opened up his home to me and other students and other young leaders so that we could have a place to see how healthy relationships are lived out. I had an amazing parent. I have amazing parents, but there were some of my uh, friends that didn't. And John said, one of the quickest ways that I can show you about healthy relationships is not to talk to you about it, but to let you see it. And you would be in a conversation with John, and sometimes, I mean, we'd be pouring out our heart, and his wife would call, and he would say, hold that thought just a second, and he would answer the phone. And I'm like, John, this guy's crying over here. And he's like, yeah, my wife's more important than that guy crying. And don't you think that didn't stick in my mind as a young leader? And John made himself available to us, except when it interfered with something that he had going on with his family. And I saw that prioritized. John's the one that helped me realize that seminary was the next step for me. Shortly after arriving on the campus of New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary, a hurricane named Hurricane Katrina came and wiped away our campus and lost all of my personal possessions. John was the first person to call me and said to me, and I quote, you are moving into our house. Not do you need a place to live, but you are moving into our house. I've known John and Elena for over 20 years, and I have never paid for a meal or a cup of coffee in their presence. That's just the kind of people that they are. But let me tell you what I don't remember about John. I don't remember his sermons. And as somebody who speaks weakly, that hurts. (laughs) I don't remember the content of all of those strategy sessions. But you know what I will never forget? I will never forget John being there at every juncture, high and low. Every high, every low from our wedding to the birth of our children to you have lost everything you own. He was a constant person in the middle of that. So I called John a couple weeks ago because I knew I was going to tell a story about him. And so I said, John, tell me what you were doing. What was the secret? What what, what was your vision? How did you lead? How, How did you do this? Why did you take such interest in a guy like me? And this was John's response. I've never really thought that much about it. 
I was like, brother, you are like the most significant impact in my life and you've never even thought about it. There was no strategy involved in this. And then he followed up and he said, Jason, I've always tried to keep my ministry really, really simple. And if it was good enough for Jesus to take a small group of people to invest in, then it's good enough for me. And over the last 20 years, John and Elena have had 17 young leaders living in their home, not spending the night in their home, taking up residence. I mean, that was my address for that season of life. 17 young leaders have been living in their home, many of which now are in full-time vocational ministry. And I finished my call with John, and I said, John, do you have any regrets? Anything that you wish you could do differently? And he said, I really wish we could have had more people living with us. It's like, I think you've done enough. I really wish we could have had more people like you living in our house. Sharing a message is easy. Sharing your life, though, that takes some work. But Paul said it's it's work that is worth doing and that we should delight in sharing our lives with other people. What is the result of that kind of living? You see it here in your notes. The result of that kind of living is that your greatest hope and joy then comes from seeing what God does in the lives of other people. That becomes your greatest hope. That becomes your greatest joy as I get to see what God does in the lives of others. And that's what Paul saw. Look at verse 13. He says, we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as human word, but as it actually is. The word of God, which is a deed and work in you who believe. For you, brothers and sisters, became imitators of God's churches in Judea. Where you're in Christ Jesus, you suffered from your own people the same things those churches suffered from the Jews who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and also drove us out. They, they uh, displeased God and are hostile to everyone in their effort to keep us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved. In this way, they also heap up their sins to this limit. And the wrath of God has come up on them at last. But brothers and sisters, when we were orphaned by being separated from you for a short time in person... Not in thought. Out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you. Verse 13, Paul says, Because we shared our life and we shared the truth with you, you began to receive the word of God, and you didn't take it just as our words, but you took it as the word of God. In verse 14, he said, You suffered like we had to suffer, but you didn't quit. Because the greatest hope and joy was seeing what happened in the lives of others. And even though we were apart from you physically, we were thinking about you all of the time. And we made every effort to see you. And I love this so much because this is old school. And I'm an old school kind of guy. This is not fancy. This is not elaborate. This is not earth shattering. But it's a principle. But I I believe that if we could live by this principle, we would start seeing some really significant things happen in our life. In fact, I think if the church started living by this principle, we would be building grandstands because we couldn't keep the people away. If it was truly at our heart's desire to say, I want to bring my life to you and you bring your life to other people. Paul says there's so much joy in doing this. Craig Rochelle, who's the pastor of Life Church. Uh, says, and I quote, some leaders will make you think they are important, but the best leaders will help you see that you're important. And I hope that Craig doesn't, I say that like we're friends, I hope that he doesn't mind me using some creative liberty with his amazing quotation. I would change it up a little bit and say a friend wants to make others think she is important. The best friend will help you see that you're important. A husband may make a wife think that he is important, but the best husband will help his wife see she is important. And that's at the heart, core of a heart that is devoted to Jesus is others first 
and joy and hope coming from seeing what God does in the lives of others. Back to verse 18 then. For we wanted to come to you. Certainly I, Paul, did again and again, but Satan blocked our way. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? What is our crown? What is our hope? What is our glory? It's you. Of all the things that Paul, Silas, and Timothy could have highlighted as their crowning glory, of all the things that they could have said, this is our achievement. This is what we are most proud of. Of everything that they could have picked, it wasn't their own battle scars. It wasn't their own personal story of transformation. I mean, Paul's life is murder to missionary, starring Kirk Cameron. I mean, it is an awesome Christian movie. I mean, murderer to missionary. Paul says, that's not what I'm most proud of. He even goes as far to say, it's really not the size of the church. It's not the size of the budget. It's not the, how nice everything is. Rather, our crown in which we will glory is you. Paul says, people are the crown. They should be the crown and glory of your life. And he says, when I look at you, early church, you are what makes me most excited because you are the joy and the crowning glory. So my question to you this morning is, what type of crown is your heart pursuing? What type of crown is your heart pursuing? Maybe here in just a moment of honesty, you'll say, you know what? It's a worldly crown. Worldly influence is what I am going after right now. If that's where you are, that's okay. We've all been there. And we're all going to go back and forth between that. But if that's really what you want, what would it take in your life to pursue then a crown of eternal significance? What would it take to move away from a crown of worldly influence to say, I want a crown of eternal significance? For those of you that have been a part of Rolling Hills for the last couple of years, if you're new today, then you're not going to have familiarity with this. But for those of you who've been a part of Rolling Hills for the past couple of years, you'll know that we're coming near the end of an initiative, a three-year initiative that we've called For the Kingdom. And this For the Kingdom initiative has been an initiative we've been asking you to, uh, to be invested in what God is doing above and beyond all that we already ask you to do, to be involved in the kingdom work of ministry at Rolling Hills. And next Sunday is the culmination of these three years of For the Kingdom And in that For the Kingdom initiative, we've been trusting God with expanding our campus and starting new campuses and expanding our work in Moldova. And next week, we're going to share with you just some of the exciting stories that happened as a result of that. But visually, I think it's so cool. Visually, the icon that we chose for that initiative was a crown. It was a crown because what we wanted you to realize was that I don't want to invest in a worldly crown, but I want to invest in an eternal crown. That will last. There is absolutely no way that Paul could have known what was going to happen as a result of his obedience. The same can be said about you and I. We have absolutely no idea what will happen in our life when we make ourselves available and when we invest and when we are a part of things that are bigger than us. But you can rest assured that that investment, it will live way past you. And it will be a, God will use it to accomplish more than you could have ever asked or imagined. So my hope and my desire is that we would all say, you know what? I want to pursue the right type of crown, a crown that is the lives of other people. And he concludes this little portion of the letter in verse 20. Indeed, you are our glory and joy. People are the glory and joy. I want you to challenge you today to live a life that really matters, to celebrate God's goodness. And that starts right here in their heart, right here in your heart. 
It starts right here in this moment saying, God, help my heart to be set on you and other people. In fact, I believe that there's probably some people in the room right now that would really benefit from someone investing in their lives. That would benefit from somebody bringing their life to you. Equally so, I believe that there's probably some people in the room that would really benefit from bringing their life to someone else and investing their life in somebody else. In fact, let me do a little experiment for you, just out of curiosity. Is there anybody in the room, courage, I'll make you raise your hand. Anybody in the room that would say, yeah, I would benefit from somebody investing in my life? Anybody? Oh, thank you. Just not me? A few of us? I would really benefit from somebody investing in my life? Yeah. How about category two? Is there anybody that would say, I would really like to invest in somebody's life. I'd like to bring my life to somebody else. Yeah, see, lots of you guys. Sounds like to me we got some matchmaking to do. Matchmaker, matchmaker. I mean, right here. What would stop us in this moment then from saying, you want to be invested in? I want to invest. Why not make it happen? I think that we don't prioritize it for a couple reasons. One, I think we've become way too professional because this is way too easy sounding. I also think that a lot of us have become just way too important for this. But I think something that a lot of us kind of fall prey to is we've just become too busy. We've become too busy to bring our lives to other people. And I want to close today with this point. If you have become too important or too busy to give of yourself to others, you have become too important or too busy in the wrong things. Period. If you have become too important or too busy to give of yourself to others, you have become too important or too busy in the wrong things. How do we know that? Because Paul says the crowning glory and joy of our life should be the investments that we make in other people. It's a beautiful thread in the Word of God from start to finish, and it's certainly at the core of this letter to the Thessalonians. Maybe here, then, you don't feel important enough, and you say, Pastor Jason, my story is not exciting I don't know what I could ever offer to somebody else because my life has been filled with lots of ups and downs, and I just don't know what I could bring to someone else. I promise you, if you have seen God do anything good in your life, you have a story to tell. If God has saved you from eternal separation from him, that is good news that he wants you to share with other people. Maybe you're here and you just don't know him at all. And I pray that your step this morning would be to pursue him, to follow him. Maybe it's a step toward accepting him. Maybe it's a step towards baptism. Do me a favor. Mark that on that card. If that's the step that God wants you to take this morning, mark that on your card. Just write it on there somewhere, and I promise you, we will follow up with you this week and say, how can we celebrate with you that step that God wants to take in your life? Because the key to living a life that really matters and the key to living a life that really makes a difference, it starts right here in the heart. And so I want you to close your eyes and bow your heads for just a minute. The band's going to come up, and we want to give you a chance to reflect on this. We want to give you a chance to just kind of evaluate the condition of your heart. Is your heart fully devoted to God? Or are you devoting some of it to God and some of it to this world? And we don't want to close this service today without giving you a chance to respond to this truth. And my question for you this morning that I simply want you to reflect upon is, ask God, what is it, God, that you want me to do today as a result of what you have shown me? What is that step? What is that action? What is that text? What is that conversation? What is that thing that you need to open yourself up to do today? As a result of what it is that God has been teaching you today as a result of meeting him here in this place. And I pray that whatever that might be, that you would have the courage to follow. And the humility and the willingness to say, God, I'm yours. 
So Lord, meet us here in this place. God, our hearts are truly yours. And we want our hearts to be devoted to you. And we want to live lives not of worldly significance, but of eternal kingdom significance. Help us to see, God, what it really means to pursue not a worldly crown, but an eternal crown. Thank you, God, in advance for what you're going to do as you meet people, as you help us, as we work through the things that we're dealing with right now. And God, I just pray that you would be with the person in the room right now that's struggling, that's wondering, can you really be trusted? Meet them here, God. We thank you, Lord, for your goodness. And I pray that the deepest desires of our hearts today would be to have a heart that is truly transformed by you and that would seek to love and connect and be a part of other people's lives. Thank you, God, for your goodness. And it's in the powerful name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen. Well, thanks for listening to our Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast, which is a part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network, where you can find great podcasts and content like the Making History Parenting Podcast, Men's Leadership Network, and the RH Women's As You Go Podcast, and so much more. If you want to learn more about what's going on in the life of Rolling Hills, we'd invite you to download our app or visit us at our website at rollinghills.church. From there, you can find and follow us on Instagram and Facebook and stay up to date on all the things that are happening at Rolling Hills. We're so thankful for you.